Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we ask that in the proclamation of your word, its reading of scripture, its enacting in sacrament, its preaching in the sermon, that it's your word for our lives today that we hear and hearing believe and obey. Amen. Bonnie Prince Charles and his army were bearing down on Edinburgh. The charming prince was a direct descendant of the last Scottish king, James VII. His aim and the aim of the army that he led was to reclaim the Scottish crown and have that crown placed upon his head. The leading intellectuals of Edinburgh rightly saw that a victory by Charles would be a disaster for the future prosperity of Scotland. A merchant named Charles Drummond helped to gather volunteers to defend the city. And when it was heard that Charles' army was nearing Edinburgh, Drummond assembled those that he had recruited. He assembled 400 volunteers in Old Town to help defend the city. And the intellectual elite of Scotland were well represented in the ranks, such as the pastor and historian William Robertson, many other Presbyterian clergy like William Wilkie and John Holm, theology students like Alexander Carlyle, and a future moral philosopher named William Cleghorn. Oh, imagine the fear that was struck into the hearts of the approaching army to hear that such a fierce collection of academics and Presbyterian clerics were massing to resist them. As the 400 marched forward, a crowd gathered on either side of the road, and the resistors heard the insults of some and the lamentations of others who were terrified of what a fight would mean for the city. I can't remember where I saw it, but there is a statue of an officer riding a horse into battle, but looking back over his shoulder to see if anyone was following him. When Drummond neared Westport, where the stand was to be taken, he turned to review the mob that followed him and saw only a few of his volunteers remained, several Presbyterian pastors and theology students, plus a few other sheepish souls. The rest had faded away, many to taverns. Not a bad idea. Most of the remaining retired to Turnbull's tavern to restore their pride and spirits. Prince Charles and his army took the city basically without a fight. It is hard to lead without followers. Jesus knows. Listen to what he says in this reading from Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I tell you. I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. 
That one is like someone building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood arose, the river burst against that house, but could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like the one who builds a house on the ground without a foundation. When the river burst against it, it quickly collapsed, and great was the ruin of that house. The word of the Lord. Why do you call me Lord when you do not follow, Jesus says? Lord is the title of a leader. The term can be used for different sorts of leaders of whom Jesus should not be numbered. He is not a military leader with troops to enforce his commands. He is not a landowner, the Lord of the manor, whose instructions must be obeyed if you want to be paid. He is not the leader in a political office with the power of the law to back him up. His leadership is by persuasion, not coercion. He is a rabbi, after all, a rabbi whose teaching and preaching has illumined for others the mind and heart of God. And he has been a role model who has lived in a way that has put his words into actions. He has shared table fellowship with those whose meals are not kosher. He has ministered to the blind. He has fed the hungry. He has touched those whom others thought were too disgusting to touch. He touched them to heal them. Because his authority is persuasive, He's like Charles Drummond. His leadership very much depends on the willingness of others to follow. Now, Jesus is honored, of course, to be called Lord. But maybe so many are calling Jesus Lord because they're really the ones who are receiving some kind of honor in doing so. I mean, it is an honor to be affiliated with someone so wise and compassionate Someone with this great reputation doing wonderful works in the world. Someone so beloved and such a celebrated figure in the culture. To be a follower of Jesus in Israel is to be a follower of one that many are saying is the Messiah. To be a Christian today is to be a member of a community of whom it is said salvation comes. It can work for you, in other words, to call him Lord, pledging allegiance to the leader of a powerful movement to which blessings flow. That's how some people think, and it's bugging Jesus. I've quoted before a sermon by Garrett Andrew, a former Trent participant, and it bears repeating. Garrett reflected on the passage in John's Gospel where Jesus, knowing that he's having his last meal with the disciples, tells them that I don't want you to call me master anymore. You are now my friends. I said that to some of y'all at confirmation. I don't want you to call me doctor or, well, no one calls me doctor anymore, but call me Mr. Anderson or Pastor Anderson, but to call me your friend as an adult. He says, he says to his disciples, you are no, you are no longer my servants. You are my friends. And Gary goes on to say how wonderful it is to sing what a friend we have in Jesus. Have we trials and tribulations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Such a friend 
forgives our sins, bears our griefs. On a sleepless night of anxiety, Jesus is the one that we can call on in prayer. He's the one who we can call on at any time of night. He is the one we can count on when no one else is there for us. How easy it is to call Jesus Lord when we know of all the sacrifices he makes for us and that his love for us is unconditional. But Garrett goes on to ask, can we sing with equal enthusiasm what a friend Jesus has in me? Hallelujah to the gospel news that Jesus is my friend. But when a report is made of how much of a friend to Jesus I have been, a report of how much I have shared in Jesus' sleeplessness, his griefs, his cares, will there be shouts of hallelujah then? I mean, we are all about Jesus walking with us in the garden alone, being the answer to our questions, being our companion in life, our champion in strife, our savior at death. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. But if we paid attention to Jesus when he said, follow me, then we are pulled out from under the comforting blankie of cheap grace because we know some of the places where Jesus is going, into the homes of tax collectors, in the company of known sinners, into the graveyard where a man possessed is in agony, into the territory of enemies, into debates with powerful people who can hurt us, and on the cross and in the grave. Jesus is our friend, wonderful. Being a friend of Jesus, is there a tavern nearby? They call me Lord, but they don't follow, Jesus says. Well, I can hear the objections some might make. I mean, should we give blind, unthinking obedience to anyone? I mean, followers are hurt when they're manipulated by their leaders for self-serving ends. I don't find any politician or preacher or political party, or even any social agenda or call so impressive that I would give what we are asked to give Jesus in the hymn when I survey the wondrous cross, my heart, my soul, my all. That kind of blind obedience to a person, an ideology, or a cause is to build a house with no foundation. To build a house, of course, to understand Jesus' parable is to build a life. A life with no foundation can stand strong and impressive, but when the follower is no longer an asset to the leader, is easily swept away. Jesus doesn't want to be called Lord for his own glorification. He wants followers in his life to know and share God's love. To call him Lord in the way that he would accept is to find a way with him, through him, and by following him, to find a way to God and thus find a way to their true selves as children of God. On what foundation will you build your life? That question is a good one for all of us to consider, but I want to ask it with the high school seniors in mind who today are being recognized. Y'all are going through a rite of passage that marks a time when you are 
taking on more responsibility for the construction of your lives, more responsible for the decisions that you make, for the actions that you take, for the effect that you have on other people by what you do or by what you refuse to do? On what foundation will you build your lives so that you can withstand the storms that might come your way? And if you would call Jesus Lord, how do you build that foundation of which he speaks? I mean, in a way, that answer to that question is going to be different for every one of you. It should be. You're all unique. But as a general response, I'll speak to a few essentials, all reflected in our worship service today. Because the answer can begin at baptism. We had one earlier, as you saw. I don't have to tell you. And we declare of each child baptized, you heard it, I've said it at every single baptism, so has Elizabeth and Ben, that we've ever done. Child of God, redeemed by Christ. The foundation of life begins there. You are going to grow and you're going to shrink in other people's eyes depending on whether you're meeting their expectations of what they think that you should be. But you will never shrink and you can't grow in God's eyes because as a child of God, you're loved regardless. And the answer comes in confession and pardon. You are God's own, but you are not God. When you try to be your own God or someone else's God, making them bend to your preferences for selfish reasons, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt others. But at the heart of what Jesus teaches, there is the beautiful message of God's grace. You are not made worthy in other people's eyes. You are made worthy in God's forgiving eyes who sees you with your flaws and mistakes and loves you anyway. And when you fail God, which is to say when you fail your true self, God wants better of you precisely because God loves you anyway. I mean, Jesus is your friend. And then the answer moves to the call for discipleship when we are asked then to be friends of Jesus. If you live as a child of God, then it matters what kind of difference that you are going to make in this world and in other people's lives. Jesus wants you to care for others because that's how love's going to grow inside you. We're all connected. How you treat others is who you're going to become. A house with a solid foundation of love or a house without a foundation that can be swept away. This interconnectedness, I don't have time to describe it, but I've lived long enough where I know it's true. You despise others for their weakness, you become weak. You ignore others' needs, you'll ignore your greatest need to become the person that God wants you to become. Care nothing about others' rights, and you'll become someone who begins to believe that your wants are your rights. But to live in a way that helps others find purpose and meaning and dignity is to gain what you've given, purpose. 
meaning, dignity. That's the thing about following Jesus as Lord. He leads you to God, which ends up being a path to your true self. A life that is defined by knowing and showing God's love as only you can do. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.